Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. This is Dimitri Samarov from Chicago, Illinois, and I love listening to Vishkana's Creative Control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend, and the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Radwan Ghazi Mumne is a musical and visual artist, record producer, and audio engineer based in his adopted hometown of Montreal, Quebec. Originally from Lebanon, where his parents still call Beirut home, Mumne is a co-owner of the Hotel Tatango recording studio and one of its primary engineers. Since 2012, Mumne has been the driving force behind Jerusalem in My Heart, which is now a collaborative project with Montreal-based filmmaker Aaron Weisgerber that features contemporary Arabic and electronic music explorations interwoven with 16mm film projections and light-based deconstructions of space, exploring a relationship between music, visuals, sociocultural history, projections, and audience members. On October 8, 2021, Constellation Records released Kalak, the latest album by Jerusalem in My Heart, which is now also available in an elaborate box set version. We talk about that on this episode. Towards the end of that same year of 2021, Radwan and I had a lovely chat about this musical and immersive live project 
his experiences on tour of late, including being locked down in a European airport hotel when pandemic lockdowns first began in March of 2020, why his family fled Beirut when he was just 15 years old, and the culture shock they all endured upon first arriving in Montreal, how he got into music via bands like Sonic Youth, Misfits, and Suicidal Tendencies, his penchant for wearing very dark sunglasses all of the time, his work at the Hotel Tatango, how the catastrophic 2020 explosion in Beirut impacted his family, and why Lebanon is a hopelessly failed state, the story behind the music and visual imagery of Kalak, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will happily help you with all your needs. You can learn more about them at blackbird.ca. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planted Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts, In Hamilton, Ontario, this is the 661st episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Radwan Ghazi Mumne with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Radwan. How are you? I'm doing great, Vish. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to chat with you again. It's been, uh, I think, eight years or something since we officially spoke on the record. Is that Does that suit your recollection? I have no recollection of anything ever. So you could say eight, you could say 18. I would be just agreeing with you. So I'm just going to agree with you. <laughs> well, it's nice. Uh, I missed you. I, I gather you didn't even miss me, oh. but I missed you. So. <laughs> no, not true. Not true. I swear, not true. <laughs> I actually was listening to your uh, interview with Sofa. I was hanging out with Ian last night. Um, he came over socially distanced, and uh, he um, he uh, yeah. We were. T- I was telling him. He was like, I don't think anyone listened to that. I was like, shockingly, I found an hour and a half of, t- of my time to sit there and listen to it while I was like cleaning up my studio. And I was like, oh, it's just so nice to hear Ian, the band member, versus Ian, the label, you know, (laughs) runner person. Um, But yeah, no, definitely. And I was listening. I was like, oh, well, I wonder if I'm going to do one of these. And lo and behold, here we are. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, I love that Ian was like, I don't think anybody listened to that. Uh, Ian, if you're listening, or Rodwan, if you see Ian, tell him it, it was actually one of the more popular episodes of that month, and I think it did uh-huh. circulate quite a bit. So tell him he's wrong. People care about Sofa, and uh, he's wrong. Just tell him, just in general, when you see Ian, oh, he knows he's wrong. Just tell general. him he's wrong he about stuff. That. He's generally wrong. Just be like, Ian, he's generally once wrong. again, you're wrong. <laughs> 12 years I've been trying to tell him he's always wrong. <laughs> doesn't seem to understand that. <laughs> yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. That was, a, that was quite a memory jog for all of those fellows, I, I imagine. Uh, but I felt like it w- went really fluidly. It seemed to work. It was great. You know, what's really interesting is Sofa was one of the very first, very first handful of shows that I saw when I moved to Montreal. Strangely, I saw like their release of their 7-inch. Oh, wow. Because I was roommates with 
um, John Asensio for like a minute who ran a label that put out, co-put out that 7-inch. It was Constellation and I can't remember the name of the label. Uh, John played in a band called Starbean and they had a record label and the Sofa 7-inch was a split release between Constellation and John's label. Right. That's right. And I, as a friend, went to the show and I was like, wow, this is, it's just, when I told Ian that years ago, he was like, what? You were there? I was like, how weird is that? (laughs) That is amazing. You are, Mm. I usually ask people where in the world they are. You are in Montreal as we're speaking, right? I am in Montreal. I just came back from a a month long trip to Europe, uh, which shockingly happened and was uninterrupted. But yeah, I was in Europe and I've been back for a few weeks, a couple of weeks now. And yeah, just here for this little little period. Very, very busy in the studio and actually going to be taking off again in March. Again for a month. Oh. Now, were you in Europe for music touring reasons or just for a trip? Yeah, I had a one-week residency with an Iranian uh, photographer. Uh, her name is Mashid Mohajirin. She's an incredible photographer and we were working on a uh, performance. We'd never met. We don't know each other. We just had some agents who decided that it would be a good idea for us to work together. And uh, yeah, so we had a one-week residency in Ghent, Belgium, at, uh, I don't know if you know, a very famous venue called Verite. Mm-hmm. And I was there for a week. And then after that, Aaron Weisgerber, my partner in Jerusalem in my heart, uh, flew into Europe and she met me there and we did our three-week tour, uh, European tour. So we did that, three weeks of uh, playing shows, and then we came back to Montreal. Well, you sh- so you you expressed some surprise that the the trip happened in the first place. Were there people there? Are they? Was it was it a situation where the the tension because of the pandemic was present for you all, or was it fairly normal? It was as if there was nothing. To be honest, that was the big shocker. Was that how little people cared? Mm. It was just very, very, very relaxed on every level. So it was a bit. It was a bit weird for sure. But also very nice that we got to do it because last time we were on the road was, this is crazy also, it was March 2020. We were (laughs) on tour when, you know, the world came to a grinding halt. We were in Spain when we had to just pack up our gear and just run, run to the airport because nobody knew anything and everything was falling apart. And the news we were getting was just so insane and distorted and everybody was just projecting as to what the hell was about to happen. So, yeah, we ended a we were doing a month long tour with uh, Lucrezia Adult and we were like not even six shows into something like, yeah, 28 shows. And we were headed from Spain towards uh, northern Italy, the, the epicenter of it all back then. And yeah, just the news was crazy. And then, of course, I think we were one of the very last bands, like North American bands, on tour at that point. When we came but we were stuck in Amsterdam Airport for about five days before we could get a flight because everything just got canceled. And we were just in touch every day with our travel agent until she got us on a flight back home. And we landed here, and yeah, that was March 16, I think, is when we landed in Montreal. You were stuck in an airport for five days, you say? Like you couldn't leave the airport? You couldn't get a hotel or something? Airport hotel. Airport airport hotel. You couldn't be in the airport. Nobody was allowed in the airport unless you were going from like the main front door to your gate. Oh, wow. Like they boarded up every chair. There was nowhere to sit on. Anything that a human could sit on was taped up, So and they closed everything, and in the hotel, they closed the restaurant, of course, and the vending machines. And the only thing that we could eat was from this, like, you know, convenience store that they left open at the airport. And we would just take the shuttle bus, the free shuttle bus from the hotel, the Ebus, budget Ebus, to, to, to the airport, grab, like, a baguette, hummus, bottle of wine, 
go back to the hotel, eat it each in our own room because we couldn't leave our rooms. You could only leave a room to leave the hotel. Mm. It was insane. It was just such a weird time. But it was kind of, yeah. kind of. So that was the last time we toured. So then almost two years later, we go back to Europe and I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if this is going to happen again. And yeah, you know, we had some scares. We had a couple of, uh, three countries we were in went into lockdown like immediately after we played there. Immediately. Mm. So so it was it was a bit intense. But you know, in in the moment, nothing felt weird. Nothing at all felt. So weird. yeah, I want to touch upon that for a second. You say nothing felt weird. People were treating everything as though it was normal life. Yeah. Does that give you any perspective on how we, when you're back here in North America, does it yeah. give you any perspective as to how we're dealing with it or reacting to it? Does it seem, does it seem like there, does, does Europe seem too cavalier about it, or do we seem to be over worrying? Do you have any take on that? I do, I do. I mean, uh, it's a bit of both for sure. I don't think they're like cavalier about it. I think they're more like, this is just going to happen and it, it, it is what it is and people just continued living their life, I feel. And the weird thing was definitely the realization that how uh, quote unquote good we were here about following the rules. We were there and it was weird if you had not had COVID. Whereas for us, I was telling everybody we'd met, I was like, I can count on one hand the amount of people I know who had COVID. Mm -hmm. So the difference, and people were like, that's really weird that you didn't have COVID. And I was like, that is just so weird. <laughs> like, it's just, it was so, everybody we met had had COVID at one point. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. Okay, that's really, really weird. Yeah. Um, but funnily enough, now in this very moment, uh, COVID is just like on on my door, at least. It's like my sister has it and bunch of my friends have it and yeah it's just crazy it's just this it's never been that close i feel it's like yeah. just a, a matter of when and not if at this point before it was like i didn't think i was gonna get it and just was like we're just respecting the rules for the most part you know we're not being super cautious but we're not being reckless by any stretch of the imagination and nobody was getting it and now doing the same thing and yet everybody i know has it and everybody i know also has kids and you know with kids that's just that's like the big X factor there, the kids. Yeah, that's why I'm. Uh, we are staying as locked down as we are. It's mostly for the children and uh, our children in particular, but all of them. Yeah, you're right. I feel like it's it's. I still think you don't want to get it in any shape because it seems to affect people in different ways with different severity. But at the same time, I think you're right. We're coming closer to the idea that everyone will get some iteration of it and. Hopefully, if you're vaccinated, your body can handle it. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It is just annoying. We're at a state now where almost two years in, and our governments are just, you know, just still are not learning lessons, and it's just blowing my mind. We're, we're I mean, I don't know. I, I'm no scientist, of course, and I'm no politician, but it feels that like the approach is still prevention which is not going to happen as opposed to protecting those people who need to be protected i don't know i think if all the resources were geared were like you know focused on that i feel like we'd be maybe somewhere a little bit more sane because right now whatever is happening is not making people sane because people are insane everybody is insane yeah like just the how you know how polarized people are how politicized this whole thing has gotten it's just out of control and i think whatever measures are happening uh yeah like what we are the 30th today i think Today at 4 p.m., the <laughs> curfew, I think there will be a New Year's Eve curfew in effect as of today. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't think, I don't think people will be able to go out on New Year's Eve. So, 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like all of it just seems like provocative. It's just provoking citizens more than anything. That's and you know, in the beginning, I was like, yeah, we have to do it. This is good. This is great. But now, you know, fourth wave, fifth wave, yeah. still we're doing the same thing. You're like, how is it two years in and you? People still have not learned how to deal with this in a way that's manageable in any shape or form. It's I, just I agree with you on the leadership level completely, uh, but I also will give them a slight uh, pass because the thing is mutating, and we thought we were doing everything. Well, sorry, not all government. I, I'm calling you from Alberta, so uh, yeah. where the leadership has not dealt with this uh, consistently Absolutely. or no, properly no. the whole time. But um, Absolutely. But, yeah, yeah. but, I mean, the thing also... Yeah we all thought we were at least in the middle of a tunnel and could see the light. And now the thing was like, you know what? I'm going to become <laughs> different and mutate. Add another, in a way. another kilometer to this tunnel. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying and I agree, but I also yeah. think like, yeah, the reality is this thing is going to probably, because pe- the vaccination rates are not, it's not a universal, universally yeah, no, mandated course, situation the, it's not an yeah, equitable yeah, yeah, situation yeah. where yeah. all nations are being vaccinated so the thing that's what i mean the yeah. politics of it are what the problem is also simple things like why are rapid tests not available to us to buy from a pharmacy like they are in europe like when we were in europe on tour we bought a box of 20 rapid tests and we we're just doing tests before going to a show before we arrived at soundcheck we do a check just preventative you're like i didn't want it on my shoulders that i'm positive asymptomatic i show up to a venue and you know out, out of this one show, you know, 50 people walk out with COVID. So yeah. Aaron and I were doing the rapid test and it was just as simple as walking to a pharmacy. I, like, I'd like a box of rapid tests. Here you are, two euros and 50 cents per test. You're like, okay. And here in Quebec, it's like people, did you see that online? People are selling those for $500 a test. Yeah, and they're being it's fined $100,000 if they get caught or something. Is that right? But all that, that's what I mean. It's just like, it's like fucking snake eating itself. It's like, there's a way to prevent all of this, right? Like, which is just make yeah. these things accessible to people. These things help. These things don't not help, you know? It's like, why, the, the failure yeah. is like, why don't we give people tools to like administer these tests so they can be preventative? Like in, in Europe, a lot of people were respecting, people weren't going over to dinners if unless their tests were negative and just things that are like, why, I mean, why is like, why are these rare here? Why is it a rarity? Why do we have to wait three hours to get a PCR in Quebec? It's like, just makes no sense. We're in the middle of winter. Like how, how is that logical to stand outside for three hours to get a PCR test? Yeah, I, I don't want to get a PCR test. So I have to stand three hours. It's like, I don't know. It's just, I, I feel like all the money they're also pouring into policing people and into like finding people and all these things. But that's just my socialist brain. My, just being like, there's just different ways of doing yeah, yeah. it. But I agree with you. It's a f- mutating thing. It's a disaster. It's not an easy thing to handle at all. But, you know, there's bottom lines for everybody. I get it. So it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, but the, and the, and is the trouble, go. the thing that's creating despondence and I think uh, resignation with everything is that for all the good news, there's bad news. Like you mentioned the rapid tests and I we got our rapid tests, luckily, and uh, a bunch of there were only at the time that we got them like five hundred thousand tests available for a population of four million people in this province, and uh, so yeah. that's bad. But then, yeah, and but we we've done them a couple of times, and luckily we are fine so far. But um, yeah. But then you start to read stories about people saying, "Well, I didn't get a negative result until I tried. I, it was my fourth test. Like I was symptomatic." And the test told me three times I was fine, but on the fourth one it said I was positive. So then, like every good, you're like, yeah, rapid test. Rap-. This seems to happen yeah. with the 
information about what we're going through. There's initially good news. Yeah, Vaccines yeah. work. It's going to work. We're going to be yeah. we're going to be good. Rapid <laughs> tests work. Yeah. It's going to be good. And then yeah. there's always just like the it's just I understand it's very hard. It's just a roller coaster ride. So anyway, I, this, you and I are not going to solve this issue today, but I appreciate that you what? had these experiences in Europe <laughs> and uh, and you're you're safe yeah. and you're going to head back, you say, to Europe at some point soon in the new year. Ooh, ooh. Well, I mean, we're supposed to. We're supposed to head back in March for... I'm going for one week to produce an artist's album in Belgium. Again, I, I always do these things. I always like bookend my trips. Well, bookend. I was like, before the tour starts or after the tour starts, I always have take care of a project because then it's just, I'm there. It's easier. You know, it's one flight as opposed to like taking two flights to do something. So I will be going a week before the tour starts, actually nine days before the tour starts. I have a recording session with an artist. I'm producing her album. And after that, we, we do our, yeah, three week tour again. So yeah, it's the same thing again. I see. So the spring version of the fall thing we just did. Well, I appreciate you mentioning this because uh, I want to catch people up who are listening uh, just with your general uh, life world because I alluded to the fact that we last spoke, I, I believe it was 2013, which I think wow. coincided with perhaps the first Jerusalem in my heart record. Is that fair? Does that, is that, is that about right? 2013 or so? Wow. Uh, I have, you know, I really don't mean to sound silly i have no idea i actually i am so like <laughs> I, I got in trouble fine. don't I got worry in about trouble. it <laughs> i got in trouble i just gotta tell you this i got in trouble a year and a half ago when we went to aruba to visit my partner's uh family they live there and uh, we had to fly through the states and a border cop we were the kids they asked me he was like the american border cop he's like are these your children and i was like I, of course they are and he's like what are their birth dates and I totally froze and I couldn't tell him the birth dates I just guessed two dates and of course they were wrong and the guy was like oh my god I can't believe you just told me the wrong birth dates of your kids and I was like oh my god this is so embarrassing and yeah my partner <laughs> so was some, like what the have, fuck is wrong with you <laughs> you like, have some oh, memory is issues brain. is what you're saying you have some memory <laughs> issues or is it date specific you just don't remember years and dates is that it's what's going on it's dates it's really dates it's dates I absolutely cannot retain dates Okay, well, I don't have the research in front of me, but I believe I'm just going to speculate that Jerusalem in my heart right. began. Would you would you would guess it's about ten years old or so at, as we're speaking? Is that right? Well, the band project. There was three records between every record, four records. Yeah, ten, twelve years ago. Okay, so I want to catch people up Something on a that. couple of things. Uh, number one, I know you uh, before Jerusalem in my heart. I knew you as. Uh, one of the uh, engineers. Are you are you a co-owner of the Hotel to Tango Studio? Yeah, I own it with uh, three other fellows. Right. Okay. So I know you as that type of person, producer, engineer, studio owner, and I know you from Jerusalem in my heart. But there are people listening who might not know all of these things. So I want to get a little biographical before we talk about uh, this latest record, if that's okay with you. So let's Absolutely. begin because I think it predates Jerusalem in my heart. Uh, how did you get into engineering and how did you end up uh, working with the people uh, that you worked with to uh, start the Hotel to Tango? Can you talk a little bit about those things? Sure. I um, It's like I, I've been doing this for a very long time. It's kind of like the only job I've ever done, actually. 
I, you know, like most musicians who are recording engineers, started out with like, you know, simple cassette four track recorder, like the band I played in and, you know, wanted to record it and went to school for it after I realized that I really liked it. And yeah, I've been working in studios forever and uh, maybe so long ago at this point, maybe 19, 18, 20 years ago, let's just say, met uh, the Silverman Zion people. And was doing live sound for them and some recording in the studio and on tour with them. And yeah, from there, there were it, Hotel to Tango already existed in a rented loft that was across the street from where we are now. And there was the three of them. It was um, Ephraim, Menik, Terry Amar, and Howard Billerman. And they were like, you know, we talked about, I started engineering everything I did there. And very quickly, you know, was was bringing in a lot of a lot of work to the studio, and yeah, and then we just had a conversation about like we're thinking of buying a place. Do you want to come in with us? And I was like, yeah, great, super. And we the 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 pool of people who was looking for a place was Constellation Records, Hotel to Tango, and Gray Market Mastering. So the three entities together, we bought the building that we are in now, which we bought, I believe, sixteen years ago, mm-hmm. seventeen mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. And yeah, and then we opened the studio and Howard and I are more the sort of, you know, career engineers, you know, people who do this as as, as a job and uh, Ephraim and Terry are more musicians mm-hmm. for a career and they engineer on the side. Um, so yeah, and that's like, that, that works out perfectly, like in terms of scheduling and in terms of the type of projects that come come in and come out of the studio and yeah i've just been doing that for quite a long time yeah quite quite a long time yeah and i engineer actually quite a bit of constellations catalog totally by coincidence uh but i just <laughs> by virtue of being friend i'm totally serious just by virtue of being friends with these artists and uh, yeah that's 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 how that has become that Okay, I, I just want to I want to interject for one moment because yeah. when we were talking earlier about uh, you seeing that first sofa show, yeah, you had suggested that that was one of the first things you saw after moving to Montreal. Where did you move to Montreal from? I moved. I was born in Lebanon in '75 uh, in Beirut, uh, the year the civil war started, and uh, my father, we think, <laughs> we think was in a little bit of kind of hot water with somebody, something, I don't know. I think just youth and silliness. I think, we don't know. He doesn't like to talk about it. But we basically had to get the hell out of there ASAP. And he went to the first country that gave him, uh, not asylum, because at that point it wasn't really that. It was more like the first country that gave him a visa. So, which was Oman, which there was no reason for us to be there other than we had an uncle who was there who was going to like help us settle down yeah. there. So we moved to the Sultanate of Oman and I lived there from, yeah, the ages of uh, basically zero to 15. And at 15 years old, we moved to Canada, to Montreal. Um, I see. And I see. my parents only lasted five, six years. My parents are Arabs that don't speak English or French. You know, they're really Lebanese and they just did not at all. They just did not work out for them here at all, at all. They felt super isolated, super just uncomfortable, especially my mom. She really, really, really disliked it here. The cold weather, they're just Mediterranean Arabs, you know? So yeah, after in 2000, they moved back to Lebanon and I stayed. I, you know, was playing music, wanted to, was touring with my bands and wanted to record, become an engineer and really wanted to, you know, have this as a career. I see. So you're, so you're 25 years old. You're an adult. You can, you can stay in Montreal if your parents head back. And that's fascinating. I assumed 
that you would have all relocated because of the uh, Civil War, but you're saying it was more because of your father's personal uh, circumstances. No, sorry, sorry. It was because of the Civil War. Excuse me. It was because of the Civil War, and all of a sudden, the neighborhood we are from where I was born and my parents lived with my grandparents, it's just very, 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 very... It was like a hotspot for for problems. It was just an insane... Two very very differing uh, uh, differing sects who were like sharing in a very 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 dense part, and things got hot very quickly between militias and stuff. So I only say he was in trouble because he was kind of friends with a lot of these people, and you know it was just like guilty by association thing. And I think we had to go because of the civil I, war. I see. Uh, were, yeah, were, you, was, were you in Beirut or like a neighboring part of Beirut? The heart of Beirut, the heart of the western part of Beirut, basically a neighborhood that is split one side of the street pretty much is like Sunni and the other side Shia. And I come from a rare, rare mix of my mother is Shia and my father's Sunni. Wow. So there's, yeah, yeah. So it's, there's families don't talk, you know, it's very, very not, there's, there's no love lost between the two families. And uh, yeah, we're kind of a rare breed, me and my siblings. I see. So that's fascinating in itself. Okay. Of course. Uh, of all course. right. So you, yeah. you're 25 years old, you're in Montreal uh, and you, you mentioned that you were, uh, I think you suggested you were kind of a musician turned engineer. What was your primary, what, what are your primary instruments as a musician? Well, I don't, I'm not, I have no musical edu- formal education at all. So when I was, when we moved to Canada, it was a very difficult move. I really like for my parents, for us, like, I mean, I don't know, culture shock would be an understatement. Like to say it, we were like just an utter culture shock. And I was in high school here and it was very difficult for me because I really didn't, was not accepted at all by uh, the the kids in the school. It was an all-boys school, so it was very difficult. My father was really scared about his kids kind of like, you know, going down the wrong path. We're in Canada, the land of like, you know, crime and drugs and everybody's a drug addict here and everyone's a homosexual and all these fucking, these, these, these craziness that they had in their fucking head. Right. Complete, complete like ignorance because they have just no connection to anything here. They had no friends here. They had no Canadian friends. Like no, they, they never had Canadian friends. They never made a Canadian friend. It was really crazy. Huh. And, you know, they're also Arabs who don't speak French, which in Lebanon, that is something that that's there's there's a classism there to what who, the French speaking portion of the society versus the non-French speaking portion of society. So, yeah, it's, it, it was very complicated for them. I really like I, I, I feel so bad for them because they had it so rough. So, 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 so rough. And uh, yeah, so I played music and, and I just met after two years of being in, in school, just met these three other weirdo guys and we all kind of liked a bit of the same music. I was into kind of like heavy metal and a bit of punk, but I didn't even know what punk was. I just like bought, I remember it was Misfits cassette that I bought at the airport, actually, just because there was a big skull on the cover. I was like, oh my God, this sounds great. This looks like it sounds great. <laughs> and of course, I was utterly shocked when I listened to it. I was like, wait, this doesn't sound like heavy metal. This is crazy. I love this, but what the hell is this? And, you know, and, and I was like into bands like Suicidal Tendencies, things that were just kind of crossover like that, that like. That, that you know thrash punk but also kind of had metal elements to it because that's all we knew and i was in oman i was into heavy metal yeah. and uh it was like the most rebellious music you could listen to so that's what i liked 
And yeah, so I met one person in particular who strangely I still am in touch with and actually I'm recording his band (laughs) in January. It's amazing. Um, He's a very important person in my life. I love him dearly, 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 even though we're so different. We're so, so, so different. He is my very first Canadian friend. So I love him to bits and he's still playing music. He has not changed, which is so endearing because I feel like I have not changed either. I'm still doing the same thing I did when I met him. Which is be a degenerate and play music and kind of somehow get by. Uh, did you and, did you want uh, to uh, did you want to name them? Yeah, of course, uh, Christopher Snellgrove. Very, 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 very different. He plays in a band called or his project, which is a solo project. Sometimes, sometimes a, a band, sometimes solo called The Last Mile, and it's uh, it's beautiful, kind of like um, folky punk music that he makes. I, I, Chris, if you're listening, I hope I'm not doing you a disservice by saying these things but he is just very talented has a real sense for harmony melody and just very honest sincere from the heart music which 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 is beautiful the the aesthetics of it are just far from what my world is but that is literally like that's 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 the beauty of the job that i do is that you take these things that are just not you and you make them you how do i make this me how do i make how do i apply these skills to this person's ideas what yeah. what's in this person's head and how do i make that into a record right. so i'm very looking forward to that anyway so he actually just we're like let's play music there's this high school talent show do you want to do this with us and i was like yeah i want to do this so we started a band we called it native curses <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah none of us played any instruments and we decided we called up he called up a friend of his and we learned how to play sonic youth's dirty boots oh and that nice. was the first piece of music i ever learned how to play that's and, uh that song's got the uh like the octave chord in it doesn't it like you yes, slide up and does. down the neck with it yeah. that's one of the first songs i learned to play and it's got the uh, maybe Hilarious. i'm saying the wrong thing do you know what i mean by that yeah, of course. No, no, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, so yeah. this friend, uh, his name was Kieran McNamara, and he he came. He was, again, like, he was from another school, but he was this really odd, odd, odd character, just completely wacky person. I was just like, wow, the world is so weird. I'd never met anybody this weird, like weirdos like that. And uh, he, yeah, he, like, each one of us was fighting as to which instrument they wanted to play because none of us played anything, so we just got to pick. <laughs> and uh, this Kieran fellow who came and just taught us how to would put tape he was like the talent he was so talented he would put tape on the guitars like put your finger here then put your finger here put your finger here and then drummer's like you hit this then you hit that then you hit this then you hit that (laughs) and we did the high school talent show and they turned off the electricity on stage while we were playing we were so obnoxiously loud and (laughs) terrible and i mean it's just like yeah it's like so romantic in a way but I love it. I mean, I love that that was... And from there, you're like, uh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's exactly... <laughs> that feeling of like, they pulled the plug, they just turned off the electricity, literally pulled the plug on us. I was like, yeah, this is going to be... This is going to be with me for a long time in my life. And yeah, here we are. I'm 46 and still kind of trying to get the plug not pulled on me. So the, the anti-authority aspects of art and music and culture appeal to you. You have that within you, this notion. I'm of, very much, very much. I mean, I don't know if you get that from what I do, but it's very much my identity, I have to say. It's very, very, well, very Absolutely. Much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I will tell yeah. you that yeah. um, before we met, I would go to Montreal on occasion from when I lived in Ontario, and I would go to shows at Salarosa or... I don't know that I saw you at Casa, but I would see you running around. I, I have a memory of you running around at Salarosa 
uh, doing doing sound and yeah, that's yeah. That's, you were distinctive because you were distinctive because it was a dark bar. But you often—I don't know if you still do this—but you often wore sunglasses, dark sunglasses. <laughs> Is that something you still do? They're actually my optical prescription glasses. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. That's that's a, that's a tribute to my dad. I have to say, my my father. We grew up with my father wearing his his sh- like sunglasses that were his optical glasses. Uh, do you say that optical glasses? What's the term for glasses? Like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, prescription right. glasses. Sure. Sorry, prescription yeah, glasses. Prescription, right? Yeah. Uh, my father had very, very severe. Uh, he was severely myopic, and like so severe. He was like one of those people. What like in cartoons you see when they wear glasses, people's eyes are like little dots. Like mm-hmm. it just shrinks their eyes to dots. And he was so ashamed of that. He was so embarrassed by how he looked that he would wear shades all the time. And growing up, I thought I always was like so, like so into that. I was like, my father looked so great. I think he he looked so beautiful in these glasses. And uh, when I was very young, I was like, I'm going to get glasses like that when I grow up. <laughs> and then my dad did an operation, fixed his eyesight to a certain degree, and then he started wearing normal uh, prescription glasses. And I was just like, yeah, like, I don't know, fucking eight, 20 years ago, I was like, I'm going to do this. And I've been doing that since then. I still do. So and now it's you, just, I can't I can't wear if you're in a darkened if you're in a darkened bar and you've got yeah. the mixing console and the band is it difficult to see uh wearing sunglasses? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Do you have <laughs> a, a special wattage for your board light so that you can <laughs> No, I don't. No. Okay. I actually also parallel to that I have insane light sensitivity. It's insane. Like I just like <laughs> it's you, I can't see you wear in, sunglasses in all the time and when you take them off your eyes are like what the fuck is this? When in, when I'm in a restaurant and there's like a candle at the table, like I put it out. I like I can't I, like light like that hurts my eyes. Driving at night hurts my eyes. Yeah, it just yeah, light really hurts my eyes actually. Well, even though I love being I, in the I, sun I, so much, I, I love I'm being not a doctor or, or an optician or an optometrist. I don't know what the right word is. I think optometrist, but I, I imagine wearing sunglasses almost twenty four seven is going to affect your eyesight. That's all I'm saying. I'm 46. I feel it's okay. Well, what are you going to do? Our eyes go. It's fine. Anyway, my point uh, (laughs) here is thank you for that background about how you got into playing music and then your your engineering stuff. I did want to touch upon one thing, though. Your parents basically, uh, they didn't have a sense of belonging while they're in Montreal. No. Are you aware now or were they aware even then of any kind of burgeoning Lebanese community in the city? I gather they weren't able to meet with such people and feel a sense of belonging. But did it exist back then at that point? Definitely did. Very much so. Yeah, Lebanese community in Montreal is very old. Uh, not as old as like, say, you know, Greek and Italian and, you know, others. But uh, Lebanese, yeah, it's very, very strong because of the Catholic connection, right? right. Because of a, a lot a lot of uh, Lebanese Catholics and Maronites moved to Montreal. And there's a couple of churches here that are quite important in the in the, in the political spectrum yeah. for Lebanese people here. Because just, that's just how we roll as Lebanese. And yeah, so he was very aware of that. But my parents, you know, back in the time, I don't think we saw it that way or we understood it that way. But now... Obviously, many, many years later, I understand the, 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 the trauma that they were like, you know, trying to cope with. There are also people that do not acknowledge that they are traumatized people, but they very much are. They are textbook traumatized people yeah. dealing with trauma, dealing with PTSD, but they just don't see it that way. They're just survivors. They're just people that like, shut up, stop complaining. You're lucky that you are alive. That's the type of people that they are. Well, I, I don't um, mean to paint with such a broad brush, but I assume if you live in a place like Beirut which can be extremely volatile. Um, yeah. I assume you develop a sort of sense of we made it another day and we have to value yeah. and 
you know, count our blessings in that regard. But Absolutely. but I do think that this is one, you know, my parents, when I grew up, they would be like, just randomly at the dinner table, you know, I'd say, uh, can you pass the pepper? And they'd say, yes, here's yeah. the pepper. By the way, India is the best country in the world. And I would say, what? what? <laughs> That's my parents, too. What are you talking about? Well, and they'd say, India is yeah, just, yeah, a, yeah. just a reminder, a daily reminder. Just a reminder. That yeah. even though we're in yeah. Canada, India is the best. And then I, as yeah. I got older and would question their whatever, if they were like, you have to do this yeah. for religious reasons, I'd start to say why, and they had no real solid answers. But when I asked about India mm-hmm. being the best, uh, I finally piped up and said, if India is the best, why did you move to Canada? And they said, yeah. better standard of life. And I was like, how can yeah. it be the best place to live if you move to another place? So I wonder also with your like your parents fled for obviously there was a civil war. Yeah. They moved back, but they must. And I don't I wanted to ask this at some point. I don't know how how they were personally impacted by the explosion in 2020, the, the port oh explosion. But yeah. but anyway, we can talk about that in a second. But they must mm-hmm. realize and recognize that they live in a very volatile place. Is there any part of you that's like, can you just come back? Why don't you come back to Canada? Like, this is too much. I worry about you. Do you have... The, sorry, there's a mix of questions in there, but... No, no, all of that, I'm, 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 following, I'm following you. I'm totally following uh, you because yeah, so all do, the, do you have everything you're saying as a, as a son, like, why don't you just leave? I know, I, I'm sure they have a social network there, if you will, but is it worth it? Like, it seems so volatile. Am I wrong about that? You are, I mean, it, you can't say anything other than it is so volatile. Lebanon is, and are we allowed to swear? Yes, a, of course. It's a, it's a Lebanon podcast. is just, everybody living in Lebanon is like up to their necks in shit. Like yeah. it is awful. It is awful to think of a country that has no functioning government, a government that is just a bunch of like petty mafiosos, like just petty mobsters, like not even professional mobsters, just kind of hacks. Uh, who run the government? It's just it's just a bunch of clans in the government where there's no there's no electricity. Electricity, but I think we're at like two hours a day of electricity right now. That's what it's. At. I mean, oh it God. changes from no Vish. You don't understand. Like since my birth, there's never been 24 hour electricity in Lebanon. Do you understand that? Like I'm wow. 46. Lebanon has never seen 24 fucking hours of electricity. We don't have drinking water. Like you buy drinking water to drink water that won't kill you. You have to buy it. A truck has to come, it has to dump it, and you have to that and, and even that is like they just it's cheated all the time. It's just a very dysfunctional country. It's a country that's just it, there's just no fixing it. At at this point there is it's it's fair to say that it, it's it's scientific to say that there's no fixing it. It's just mm-hmm. never gonna be fixed. So volatile, yeah. I mean, what we don't have any consensus in the in the in the country too. We have no idea how many Lebanese are in Lebanon because they refuse to do a proper consensus because of how politicized the consensus would be. We think there's maybe three million, four million Lebanese. There's maybe a million and a half Palestinians. There's at this point who knows how many Syrians? Estimate is around two, three million Syrians. Mm. We don't even know. It's just such a shit show on every fucking level. So yeah, is it volatile? Yeah, of course it's volatile. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous. You know, like nobody talks about COVID there. Like Corona, like COVID does not exist in Lebanon because it is literally the least of people's worries. Like the least. Mm. The least, the least, the least. It's like, it's hilarious how they look at us and they're like, ha, 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 look at all you worried about COVID. <laughs> they don't even know what they've got there. Yeah. So again, back yeah, I mean, to my like, question. It's, have you, how often do you get to talk to your parents and how often do you get to visit? I mean, COVID notwithstanding, COVID, like, how often do you get to visit? Yeah, COVID notwithstanding, two to three times a year I'm there. Of course, I'm there all the time. I have such a big community of like 
this family and then there's friends who are like bigger than family for me and just yesterday my partner and I we were like she, you know she was saying that she feels like we've lost some family because of the two years of not seeing them she's like she just feels so alienated mm. I mean, she, she is she is I, I think it's actually somebody you know uh, she is somebody you know uh, do you know Alexi Perry Cox yes I do yes yeah, I mean, is, vaguely, we've 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 met. I don't know, I don't know Alexi super well, but I we've met for okay. sure. Yeah. Oh, so she is my partner in life and the mother of our children. Nice. Um, and uh, <laughs> I agree. Uh, <laughs> so she's missing. She's missing your visits to to Lebanon visits. to, to ba- she, are your parents back in she, Beirut. They are there in Beirut. She yeah. actually lived there for a bit while I was had all this crazy travel. And no, she has actually, she knows more people than me there. She has like a whole community there and she speaks Arabic. She learned Arabic and she's very, very much, you know, has become Lebanese. She's like so tight with like my family. She talks to my parents more than I do. Like, it's crazy. It's, it's like, she's very, so for her, it's like also become been very, very hard to deal with all of this. But anyhow, my parents came here. They came here, uh, uh, a year and a bit ago uh, upon my insistence after a couple months after the explosion they came in October of 2020 I was freaking out I was like this is just too much you got to get on a plane you got to come to Canada you got to be here for two three months you just need a change of scenery just for a bit like this is yeah. insane I can't like this is really starting like you got to think about me now I'm going to be selfish here it's like think of me just come here for fuck's sake and they did they were great they came here with my sister my sister who was very severely affected by the explosion her uh, her office was gone just blew up she was right sort of she's in the neighborhood where the explosion happened good lord her her her, she was in her office. Her office just fucking every fucking thing just blew. She it's was insane. in. She was in the. She was at work during the explosion. She's at work during the explosion. Yeah, of course. Oh my of course, god. Of course. And of course, she, of course, she was of course. she unscathed though. Uh, physically, uh, I mean, she was lucky that like Beirut is so dense that she was just like she got away with like shrapnel cuts and glass flying across the room oh into her god. body, and so she was cut up. And her employee, one of her employees, was 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 much more severely hurt, and her her dog too was pretty fucked up and you know she was just like fuck it that's it this is it this is the straw that's it i'm out i'm done so she packed her shit up and moved here oh she moved there that's i mean here sorry that's good here that's great i mean sorry i'm not one i'm not one for fleeing places although i just did this in a sense i i moved because i wasn't (laughs) happy with our situation even in ontario but yeah no that's obviously uh pales in comparison to what is going on there? And that explosion, uh, obviously, was one of the scariest things I've ever seen. It's one of the greatest, uh, I guess, what, artificial explosions in the history of the world. It was, it was the magnitude of like a, a, a 3.3 earthquake or something. Like It was just bizarre. And it was all just government idiocy, right? They'd stored this, uh, what was it, ammonium nitrate or something like that? They just stored ammonium it nitrate. Yeah. and then left it unregulated, yeah, yeah. and it just a fire broke out. And then like... This explosion happened. It, it destroyed, and Beirut, by the way, I believe. If I, correct me if I'm wrong. It's one of the oldest cities in civilization, and it has all this like remarkable architecture. And you know, even that gets the government cronyism and corruption has led to the leveling of ancient uh, structures. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and to, when to I the, say there's no hope, yeah, the, it's really hopeless. No. You're right. Okay, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's really hopeless on that level. Yes, of course. No, it's 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 the 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 the, the foreign hand, the intervening foreign hand, will forever be present. Right. So that means that no matter no matter what happens, 
many, many powers that are closer to you and me here uh, would never allow for things to be in a way that could function for Lebanese. And full stop. We don't need to go into into that more than, than that. That's all we need to say about yeah. that. But, so do but, your parents, yeah. your parents were here for, you said for a few months. So does that uh, imply two and a half they months. went back? Yeah, yeah. They came here for two and a half months. You know, it's like, and they were so excited. My mom had not set foot in Canada since 2000, since she left. Mm. When we returned, I flew with them. I had an insane amount of work, but I had to take, I took a three day break to fly to Lebanon and fly back here just to drop them off. Mm. Uh, so my mother at the airport was like, I'll see you in 20 years, Canada, <laughs> in another uh, 20 years. <laughs> so, so, so there's something there. They're not, it's not, is it simply uh, that they're hardened and, and resolute, or is there something else? From your perspective, are they oblivious there to is how? something else. Um, no, no, I think there's something romantic about it. I, I don't think, I think, so, so we get to Lebanon, you know, and of course, uh, to Beirut. We, my father, we go up to the house and my father, my parents now live just outside the city in what back then when they got their house in 2000 or 2005 or whatever it was, it was a kind of a suburb, very chill. They really wanted to be away from, from, from the craziness of Beirut. Now, funnily enough, has become just absolute disaster place where they live. And it's become very, very, very dangerous where they live. It's, it's turned into a very, dis, very sketchy neighborhood, mm. which is so funny. Um, but, uh, but we were in the car the next day and we were driving around a neighborhood. My dad had again, his like things to do. And we were driving and my father said something to me. He was just like, we're driving. And he was like, look around you. He's like, you see that garbage over there? It's like, yeah. He's like, you see that tire that's like just in the grass over there? You know, you see that like rusty car. You see that, you know, that guy over there. He's a thief and he has to stop. And he just kept pointing to everything negative, everything negative. I was like, yeah. He's like, despite all that, this remains the best country on the planet. <laughs> and I was like, says wow. it all. Said yeah. it. He just said that. I was just like, slam dunk. I get you. You are just, he, this is you. This is what you are and you want to die here. And that's their, they're like, if we die, this is where I want to die. I don't want to die in Montreal. I don't want to die in Ottawa. I want to die in Beirut and full stop. Let's not argue. Let's not talk about this anymore. Mm. And I had to talk to my siblings and be like, just let it go. That's just what they want. Like, that's it. Like, it's yeah. not our decision. You can't control decision. people or whatever, but it is odd as you get. I'm also in my, uh, we're about the same age. I'm. You got, a, you got two years on me, but you end mm -hmm. up weirdly we're at an age where you start parenting your parents mm -hmm. and uh but you also recognize that they are more or less unparentable so you you know like you i have children so i'm in this dual zone of like trying to help my kids and parent them but then you know fielding calls from my parents and then trying to convince them that eating dinner at 8 p.m. is no longer a good look and healthy for them you know like you got to eat mm -hmm. at a yeah my my mother will just flat out say my mother uh i just got as we're speaking uh our our, our belated christmas package from my parents and when we lived in ontario my mother would always buy she thought she was doing the right thing she'd buy like the the cheapest like uh chocolates like the what are the yeah. pot of gold or whatever Not, i don't know if it's cheap but you know that kind of schmaltzy boxed chocolate and she'd be like look i got you this thing and i'd be like mom trying to cut back on sugar. Sugar's not good for you. But she just did it every year. But she's... Wait, can I guess what the box of chocolates were? Sure, go ahead. How, 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 like, uh, Brito files are your parents? Well, yeah, they did. Indian. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. They, they are were they, or are in they India not? during colonization. And, well, I shouldn't say that. They, 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 my dad was born 
48 and colonization ended around that time yeah. so they were aware of it but no they didn't come up in it I was guess. it by any chance a macintosh quality street box uh, no i didn't haven't had that no they're not that they were really into peak freens those, those cookies uh when oh, yeah, I, was a kid, I, I think that's british uh but i never <laughs> really connected it to the colonization but i feel like that's probably part of it no my point is like she sent me a box of sweets again. She sent yeah. us this box of sweets, and it was like, yeah. you know, Ferrero Rocher. She did send me some baklava, which I was actually very happy about. But uh-huh. it was just, like, unnecessary. Like, the postage involved in sending me a box of sweets. And when I called her to thank her, she said, Oh, good, you're not angry at me. I thought you would be angry that I sent you sweets. And I said it to my wife. She's like, why would she send you something if she knew it would make you angry? They're just the way they are, and you can't change them is all I'm getting at. And that's, yeah. it sounds like you've realized that about your parents. You know? yeah, They're just and, the way and, they are. Of course, and not that I... And I don't want to change them. I never set out to you know change them. I have no care sure. for that. You know, I, I, I'm just... I respect them, and I feel like I would be... You know, I'm, I'm very attached... <laughs> I'm very attached to my Lebanese identity, as you know. You can maybe tell from the work that I do uh, artistically, yes. and like with my children, I speak to them exclusively in Arabic since they were born. I do not speak to them in French, nor even though they're completely trilingual, they're fluent in all three languages: uh, English, French, Arabic. And since they're since they were born, I only speak to them in Arabic, and I tell them that I do not understand when they speak to me in French or English, even though. French is, I would say, their strongest language at this point because of daycare. Mm. And English, because of their mother, is, you know, it's just extremely strong. And their Arabic is, 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 is strong, but, you know, there's not that many Arabs in their life as much as I would, I would like there to be. So for me, it's very important that, like, I parent them that way, that they understand that no matter what, they were born here, but they remain where you are born is not what your identity, your identity is what you decide your identity is. And I can only show you that this is one of the identities that you carry with you. Whether you like it or not, it's for you to decide later. Whether you want it or not, that's for you to decide later. But, you know, that they that they will have their Lebanese ID cards and that they will speak the language no matter what you know it's very important for me it's very 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 important for me because it was very important for my parents and my parents because we left lebanon when we were born like it was very important for them that we maintain that part of our identity and i see the i see the positive part of that yeah there's i see i see and you know for me i feel also all of our lives because of these crazy places where we grew up where you know there's a part of this that like sometimes my friends catch and are really like puzzled by it for example like how i speak I'm speaking to you now. I sound like a Canadian, right? Like you would never know if you, sure. you do not. If I did not say my name, I, I could be Michael something. You know, it's like I, I do speak like a Canadian. But put me in a room with a bunch of Lebanese people, and we all speak in English, and all of a sudden our English changes. We speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We will start speaking English like Lebanese people speak English, and same thing with French. And when I'm around Lebanese people, my French sounds very Parisian because that's the French we speak in Lebanon. Versus when I'm in a room full of Quebecois, my French has a bit more of a Quebec you know twang to it because I'm in a room full of Quebecois and that's just like that's just how we grew up we grew up that you sort of assimilate not assimilate but you sort of adapt to whatever's around you because you are never home you're never you're never in like your backyard you're always in someone else's backyard therefore you always have to be adapting quickly to what's around you and a well, lot I, of I my friends it's, from it's, here when it's we're, quite no it's I think it's if I may I think it's fairly yeah. noble of you to have instilled that within your children. And I think it was probably informed by the fact that you moved to Canada when you were 15. So you were really deeply uh, connected to your heritage uh, for some for most of the formative part of your life, if you will. 
Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm saying this in somewhat of a self-defensive tone because I only occasionally speak Hindi to my children uh, because I was mm-hmm. born here and raised here and spent a good chunk of my childhood resisting some. It wasn't until I got to university that I really saw the value in my culture. And oh, same here. Same here, same here. I hear you. When we first moved here, the kids, myself and my siblings, were like, oh, we're Canadian now. That's it. What do Canadians do? Peanut butter. What the fuck is this disgusting shit? But like, we just have to eat it. These fucking idiots eat this. That's dis- oh, milk that's cold. Are you insane? That is disgusting. You know, like the food people, the food was the big one. The food was like, what the fuck are you eating? This is disgusting. Disgusting. And where's the bread for fuck's sake? Why is there no bread on the table? <laughs> yeah, so you, you're trying yeah, was... to but then like I grew to appreciate my even you know, people I'd I'd live with a bunch of white people at university and I'd go home to visit my parents for the weekend and some of them would say, Hey, uh, is there any chance you could bring back some Indian food? And I'd be like, What? <laughs> you like Indian food? Like my whole life. I was resisting it. I'd be like, can't we just get fast food or can't we go out or I just want a sandwich. I want a peanut butter sandwich. I was the opposite of you. And they'd be like, no, we've made this beautiful Indian food and I didn't really value it until later. So it's just a thing where you, uh, you know, you you get kind of tunnel vision because you're kind of uh, processing the fact that you live in this cultural clash every day where your parents act and speak in one way. And but the, most of your day is spent at a, a school or outside playing road hockey or whatever with a bunch of people yeah. who don't talk that way. So you 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 have this duality that you're negotiating, and I yeah. think this might be an okay segue to bring us back to your latest Jerusalem in my heart record. Oh yeah, that's what we're talking about. Whose Sorry. title um, I think speaks to your concern, I suppose. Can you talk mm-hmm. about the title and what that word means in Arabic? Sure. The the word qalaq means uh, simply worry, but worry uh, depending on on how how it how it is used, it can you know sort of elude elude. Mm-hmm. This is where the ESL elude. That's correct. Elude 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 to to like uh, you know the 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 degree of worry and uh, married obviously with the cover art. It just signals like this deep 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 concern for where things are at for for whatever obviously lebanon we're talking about lebanon we're talking about the 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 world that i'm from the place that i am from and yeah that's that's it's a deep very unsettling worry about uh, where we find ourselves in 2021 yeah, the the cover image for those who haven't seen it yet, and by the way, I've included it in the uh, podcast description, uh, or rather the link on my website anyway, but uh, where you can also go to learn how to buy the record. But uh, the cover art, I believe, is a photograph uh, that was taken during the uh, Beirut October Revolution yep. uh, from uh, 2019. Is that yeah. correct? Yes, exactly. Taken by a absolutely stunning, wonderful photographer called Miriam Bulos. Right. And it depicts, uh, as I, I don't have it in front of me, it's behind me. I can't, I don't want to turn around. Uh, the record is on the floor behind me, uh, leaning against the wall, but it's a fiery image. Is that correct? Yeah, it's just during, taking during one of those, uh, protests that were happening, uh, almost daily in Beirut of, uh, yeah, three women. Uh, we, we can tell immediately for, for a Lebanese, you look at that and you can tell immediately that they are not Beirutis. You can just tell how, how they are dressed, how they look. 
many many things that just kind of like clue you into that like they are not really from the city or the city center and that they are yeah in this sort of like inferno of a fire where just everything around them is on fire and they're just like you can just they're in a state of this insane yeah their own fire their own explosion it's it's a very very powerful moment they they seem they look almost relatively calm they they look like hmm. nothing's happening which tells you how normalized chaos might be for them is that fair maybe i mean it's also a photo right so it can be just like a moment before someone's about to explode or well that's but that's <laughs> yeah, what i mean me, i'm not to, saying that that's how yeah. they felt i just mean the photo yeah. seems to depict this normalcy to what is behind them is not anything any uh, anyone anywhere almost anywhere else in the world would think is normal yeah but the sur- there's almost a serenity in there like yeah that's just the way it is that's where i pick up from the photograph not necessarily the moment mm-hmm. in history but sorry i'm just telling you i'm doing a, a first year university reading of the photograph i'm sorry is that okay yeah no no it's a to- this work is well i always have this discussion with so many people about the work that i do because it's all in arabic i do not trend i hate in the past i've had to and for many reasons and now i've 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 changed my position upon that i don't like translating my lyrics yeah. i don't like needing to explain to people what i'm saying uh outside of conversations like this where when it's a conversation it's beautiful but like the supposed that like I owe an English audience a fucking explanation of what I'm doing because you're entitled to a fucking English translation to everything that's in front of you. I've had so many concerts where people have come up and have been irritated at me because they couldn't understand what I was saying and all you want to do is just like just brush these people and be like just get out of my face you're so stupid. It's like such a stupid thing to say. Well I I hate to do this to you uh, but I do I appreciate what you're saying but I I do wonder how this uh, umbrella term Kalak, Deep Worry, is sort of translated over the course of... The record has 13 songs. There's a uh, guest uh, features, I suppose, on, mm-hmm. I believe, every every song. So can you, All without one, yeah. doing a translation, of course, can you talk mm-hmm. about how the theme of deep concern and worry is sort of sure. illuminated uh, on the record uh, with the in terms of its, maybe it's, the sound can be moody and jarring and and all sorts of things but then you also have these guests who in some cases are offering uh, vocals and i don't know if you had a hand in uh helping them uh compose such things i'm thinking of uh, alanis obamsawin for example who's very striking on the record anyway sorry Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that how did you translate the 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 umbrella term and concept to these songs with all of these uh, collaborators with each collaborator, the, the way I, I talk about how these collaborations came about on a technical level was that I, I kind of constructed a bit of a um, skeleton for the record, composed a skeleton and gave a part of the skeleton to all these artists and told them to sort of add kind of flesh to it. So here's the skeleton. Do whatever you want. It is completely like carte blanche. You do whatever you want. And you only get one pass. And whatever it is that you do, I will use. There's going to be no back and forth. There's going to be no talk about it. There's going to be no conversation. I want to capture whatever your understanding of what I'm sending you is. And there is no wrong. Whatever you do, I will use. Which was a fun challenge, I have to say. And, and, and it's putting a, a lot of pressure on the, uh, the, the person who's doing the, the work. But also putting a lot of pressure on me to make whatever they give me work. And also uh, 
it's like to me a sign of deep respect to the person's ability, work, and understanding of what I'm doing. All these people are friends. There's a connection to all these people. It's not just like you know people who I like their music, therefore they're on here. They're all people who I have a a a personal connection to. And yeah, that's that that was that was the process. So it was just person like the title of the album was already had already been established the cover artwork came before anything the title came before anything all these ideas the music was the very last thing actually so all this stuff i i gave these uh i gave all this like data to all these all these collaborators and told them this is what this is about this is what the record is about this is where this comes from and this is where this is going what do you understand from that and that's how people formed or created their their contribution to the record I see. and a perfect example would be alanis when she what she decided to do was she sang a lullaby for my children she talks about both uh, elham lezama and isla sahar my two kids and she says their she 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 says their name and she sang a lullaby for them because for her that was and that's what made the opening of that the side B of the record was that this like sort of you talk about worry well the the antidote to that is is the ch- the, the power of the child the power of the 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 the, the 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 youth and she said she sang a lullaby to them right and I was like that was a perfect interpretation of what I gave her versus uh, Greg Fox's you know uh, uh, he took it and he he took it 180 degrees the other way when he was just like you know this is my worry. This is what it is. And bam, he just like, you know, yeah. machine gunned me down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's the uh, opening so, yeah. track. And it's, uh, uh, my wife will tell you it's a bit jarring to be in the kitchen and have that start plan. You know, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, you'd be not a human if it wasn't jarring. It's not supposed to be pleasant. It's supposed to be jarring. It's supposed, it's supposed, to, be supposed jarring. to Absolutely. It's I supposed think... to be a claws coming at you. Like, that's the idea. It's like, that's that. look at the cover and that that, that first bit of audio is what the soundtrack to that image is. Yeah, and Jerusalem in my... I was going to say, Jerusalem in my heart as a musical entity is deeply connected, I believe, to the film and imagery, particularly in a live setting. Is that fair to say? Yeah, of course. The live component of the... I mean, this record, you know, there's a limited edition of this record that's about to sort of come out. We're just almost ready with the... There's a box set. There's a 50 edition box set of this record. We are just waiting on the actual... The, the thing that's stalling is the box that holds all the elements of the box set. That's what's delaying this whole release, which is driving me nuts at this point. But Ian has oh. really, uh, really uh, designed an absolutely stunning box and given it to a box maker to make. And the box maker is is running short on supplies to make the box. There is a version of the box of the record that exists in a limited uh, edition of that comes uh, that is accompanied by a film. So you buy the box set. It has the LP in its regular format with a book, an accordion fold-out book that Alexi Perry Cox made that folds out into something that's about five, six meters long. Absolutely yeah. stunning book. And a canister of 60-millimeter uh, film, like a positive print film that you can project. And on the optical soundtrack, there is an element of audio. There, the It's the third track from side A, that track that's instrumental, is missing the vocals. The vocals are not on the record. The vocals are on the film. So if you wanted to mm. hear the vocals <laughs> that are missing, they are on the film. And the idea behind this whole thing, I wanted to sort of create this like object that sort of would recreate this performative visual aspect of the of the show, which is far more important to me than the recorded aspect of the of the of of, of the project, by 
synchronizing by you know your your sort of freewheel synchronizing this LP. You have to put on the LP. You have to plug, spool the film on a projector, take the audio out of the projector, put it through a speaker, and for you to listen and watch all three elements happen at the same time: optical audio on the film, uh, image on the film, and audio from the LP. And that's where you would get the complete. That's to me the most accurate representation of Jerusalem in my heart as a thing, as a fetishized object that you can take home. Because to me, the show is the most important thing in this project. Just you come to the performance with Aaron and I doing the filmic performance, which is this, yeah, about a hundred loops that accompany the tracks and that her and I have this like little dance that we do to present the show. So yeah, that was the closest thing I could do to, to do that. I, I'm only saying that because, yeah, to tell you that, yes, the performative aspect of it, the filmic aspect of it is as important as the musical aspect of it. And unfortunately, on a record, you can't do that. Like, that's just the format doesn't allow right. for that. So the record, so, I've always said that it's a compromise for me of what the project is. I appreciate that. So for, if people want to learn more about this uh, limited edition box set and most things to do with uh, Jerusalem in my heart, including tour dates, I assume they'd want to go to CSTRecords.com. Is that fair? Yes, that's a yeah. best, that's the best place to go. And then if they want to invest uh, their resources into all the equipment necessary to enjoy <laughs> the box set, they could go to Kijiji, <laughs> eBay, these kinds of places. Is that fair? That's uh, fair. Or you can just rent them, too. That's, you can yeah, rent them, yeah, from your yeah. local uh, AV uh, experimental <laughs> filmmaking place, if you will, yes. probably. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't make it easy. I know. I know. I know. It's just I can't. You know. It's not intentionally hard. It's just that's just. Well, that's maybe the, material. the does the box set come with a, a small projector that people can? Does it come with that's, the equipment? Is that possible? A good, Is there I, a way you could send that to each each of the fifty yeah, we'll recipients? Just load in a twenty kilogram projector to people. Put that in them <laughs> in, a, in a box and send it and. Hope it gets I'm making there, uh, I'm making a little joke, but I do appreciate that uh, you you put so much effort into this. It sounds. I appreciate your 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 thoughtfulness generally, as you know. I hope, Rodwin, like it's it's great. Thank you. I, I think it's no, cool. No, so it's... so beyond, you mentioned potential March tour dates, twenty twenty two. Any other future? And then this box set, obviously, we just talked about. Is there anything else coming up yep. for you uh, beyond your uh, work at the hotel at the Tango? But beyond the hotel, is there anything else going on that you want to talk about? Uh, no. I mean, it's just twenty twenty two. Is there's like like a boatload of collaborations that seem to be all lining up for 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 the year so i'm really uh, really looking forward to the year i also am going to start working on uh, some strangely this is going to sound funny but i'm going to work on some solo music even though <laughs> Jerusalem Right is a solo project musically it's uh i do want to start working towards a solo record that's under my name not Jerusalem my heart sort of to break away from that the the confinements of of the the Jerusalem in my heart and what it has become and what it is. Um, so that, that I'm, do you, I'm, do you I'm, have a, do you already have an aesthetic vision for that? Like if it would be not Jerusalem in my heart, what would the distinction be? I don't know. I do have a residency lined up to sit there and find an answer to that question to sit hmm. there. I mean, I have some ideas, of course, as always, there's no shortage of ideas, but I do. Did you ever answer my question about your primary? You talked about someone teaching you how to play guitar. Oh, guitar. I don't play guitar. Song, just, what is your primary instrument if you I, have one? My my primary instrument is the studio, I have to say. I really... <laughs> no, it is. I, okay. I, the studio to me is an instrument. The instruments I play, I'll tell you what I play. I play the bazook, which is a uh, in Arabic we say bazook, but in mm-hmm. English bazook. And it's a lute. It's a Lebanese, Levantine, Palestinian, Lebanese, Syrian lute. Long neck 
lute that's a cousin to the oud. That's the principal instrument that I play. And I play a lot of electronics and it's basically a little bit of a, and sing. So it's like all these three elements is what make the show and right. the, the records. Uh, when I say electronics, I know that's so vague, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of modular, a lot of synthesis, a lot of computer clicking to, yeah. uh, to, 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 to create what I create. But yeah, I don't play any instrument very well. I feel like I just play the studio quite well. And that's the studio is what is the main instrument for me. And you, uh, you play the studio very well. So don't, thank I, you. I, I, I was just <laughs> curious what, it, sorry, I'm, I'm prying into an unyet realized solo Rodwan record like what no, would no, that I be i'm just I trying to picture know. it you know what i mean i think it would be very much more vocal and bazook based vocal in arabic though because uh, uh, or would it arabic. be a different language I perhaps i cannot imagine me singing in english my god i just it would not even come out of my mouth i don't know like I, that would be impossible well, I just wonder what, uh, that's all. Well, you know what? Yeah. There's no point in speculating about, you don't even know yet. So I'm yeah, just curious I, <laughs> what direction it might take. As you say, it's yeah. you made a yeah. joke. It didn't sound that funny to me that you would make a solo record outside of Jerusalem in my heart. But in my yeah. mind, you performing as yourself would be some major departure from Jerusalem in my heart. But I Very think it remains so. to be seen what that would be uh, at this point. It's That's still fair to say, I think. Yeah, I think we're probably two years away from that being a thing. But I, I <laughs> okay, and, and in the sense that if I start working on a record like now today, it would be two years before that would be a thing. It's just that's yes. just the way life works. Um, but I do, I do. I talked with my manager, and we have set time aside, and we are trying to find a residency program in France to sit, just lock myself up in a studio and work and try to come up with the the first building blocks of a of a, of a record, and take it take it from there. See see where that goes. Okay, that's amazing. That sounds great. You're very busy, and I appreciate you making time for me. I mentioned cstrecords.com, Constellation Records website. Uh, if people want to keep tabs on you, specifically using uh, various web platforms, uh, where would you like to direct them, if anywhere? Um, I, uh, I think Instagram is probably the most current thing. I, As I grow older, I really am trying to avoid... Avoid social media more and more and more and more. I see the wisdom in that. Of course, I am a musician, which means you cannot do that. Otherwise, you know, your stuff doesn't work, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, Instagram, there's a truth from my heart and a personal uh, Radwan Ghazi Mumne Instagram where I try to keep keep between the two. Mostly, I, I don't post really personal stuff. It's mostly sort of artistic stuff. Right. So those I feel are good. I, I, I won't, there's no videos of me with a cat or anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll have to Especially dig deep for that uh, burner instagram account you have which is you and a cat hanging out me and her, some random cat because i'm allergic to cats <laughs> oh i see um, okay, <laughs> okay. I am well, on, we'll, we'll I, try to I, find yeah. you on that thing uh somehow great now and uh, on constellation's website and stuff like that but other than that no i mean come 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 to a performance and try to engage and open your soul and see if something some if it catches anything and if yeah. it doesn't that's 100 percent great and cool Fair enough. Now, if we can go out in a song from Kalak, is it oh possible for you to pick one and also uh, explain why you chose it? I will pick... Oh, you are going to... This is where it's going to just shine how stupid I am. <laughs> I don't know the numbers by heart. Of oh, the that's okay. Uh, is <laughs> okay. There, good, is good, there good. a collab... If you cite the collaborator, uh, I can tell you. So, I mean, it's the context of it because that, that, all that, that whole record on... 
a track on its own feels a bit like uh, destabilizing. Mm. But I would say uh, the, uh, the 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 track with my very 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 dear friend Roger Tellier Craig, which I believe might be Calac Two. That's correct. I think that's correct. Yes. Okay. Great. There we go. Not so bad. Uh, he's a very important friend. A most important. B an absolute inspiration. And see, I just a goddamn fucking amazing artist that is just so unappreciated, I feel. And uh, him working on this record with me was just a real, uh, I, was very, I was very happy and fortunate, even though we're so close and it was not even, he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But to me personally, it just meant a lot that, that he did do this because he's so important to me and such a big influence on me, actually, in many, many, many ways. Tell so the that, uh, tell the folks at home uh, what kind of uh, music Roger uh, plays or, or what outfits... Uh, yeah, Roger Tellier Craig is plays in Fly Pan Am, uh, which to me is, uh, for my personal taste, is the most important Montreal band within my in 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 my microcosm. You know, a band that suffered from not the best production and the best translation of their ideas to tape. And I'm very lucky that I got to work with them for their last two records, which I'm very, 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 very proud of. Two two records that I'm some of the most proud records I've worked on in like the hundreds and hundreds of records I've produced so this is very important to me uh, he also uh, he used to perform in Godspeed You Black Emperor and he uh, also had a duo with a visual artist uh, the duo was called Le Révélateur and the other uh, his partner in the project was uh, an amazing mind-altering visual artist called Sabrina Raté who lives in France now and he performs uh, solo as uh, Roger Tellier Craig and I'm just a massive fan through and through and him and I played in a band together shit I almost forgot that <laughs> Fuck. we played in a band together oh my god my brain <laughs> well this is like the least interesting of all the work which is why I kind of don't even really put it we played in a band together called Pashik Chic we were, were a couple of records were made and yeah he's just been there forever in my life and forever he's been relevant and for me of all the people who have been around me as much as him, I am always blown away by how relevant he still is after all these years where I feel like a lot of people in my community have gone, you know, their relevance has just wavers up and down, like all of us, like just human. And he is superhuman in that way of being very relevant. Unfortunately, not to the outside world, to me. But that's what's most important to me is me because I love his No, I, so. I appreciate that. And for what it's worth, Roger has been on this very program uh, oh, 2019 to talk about the uh, Fly Pan Am record uh, C'est Ça. Uh, so uh-huh. th- and that's one you worked on, isn't it? Yes, it is. That was the record they came back after the their their comeback, not comeback record, their reformed. Yes, that's record. right. Yeah. So yeah. all I'm telling you here is uh, Radwan, I I appreciate mm-hmm. your love of Roger, and I uh, I thank you for choosing this piece. It's a good call. So shall we thank shall you. we play it for people now? Please play it now. Is this where I get to say goodbye, or do I still have to talk after the piece? Well, we'll. I'll, I'll, I will say goodbye. I will say we'll. We'll both say goodbye together. This is Kalak Two, featuring Roger Tellier Craig, uh, from the uh, beautiful and uh, significant new record by Jerusalem in my heart. Radwan, this was a tremendous pleasure. Thank you for making time for me and being on the show. It's Thank nice you, to reconnect, Bish. and I wish you the best luck in the future and a happy new year to Thank you as well. Thank you so much. To you too and the family, thank you so much for uh, giving me a moment to talk about these ideas. I really appreciate it and love the work you do. So thank you so much for including me in this.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thanks again to Radwan for being on this uh, show, which was what? What was it again? The 661st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it and it's not available on whatever thing you use to follow podcasts because they've got a limited feed and they, they say 661 episodes, we're only going back to 300. You say, oh, well, what do I do? You can learn more about the, the show 
at my website, uh, vishkana.com. That's also where you can go to sign up for my monthly newsletter, which I've neglected a little bit because I've been so busy. But uh, I'll get it going again at some point. Again, sign up there and learn more about the show at vishkana.com. And like Creative Control on the uh, Facebook or the Meta book. I don't know what it's called now. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter or Instagram or Metagram. I don't know what it's called, but uh, the handle there, at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content that uh, I find either from my audio archives, uh, you know, I have a long history of interviewing people, or sometimes... And often, although not in this case, derived from current interviews. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll go a little OT with a guest and we'll talk about something. And then I put that part of the conversation up on the Patreon so that if you like somebody, you get a little bit more. Also, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Again, that address, patreon.com slash creative control. There's a link in the podcast description, I think in almost any possible way you're accessing the show. There should be a link to our Patreon. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer, Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. They are located in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, so if you're in the area, go there. Otherwise, visit their website, blackbyrd.ca. And also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. As always, thanks to my good friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on this show. You can learn more about Jim and his really astounding catalog of song at his website, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Radwan from Jerusalem in My Heart and also the Hotel Tango Recording Studio, which is a wonderful facility that I've had a chance to visit uh, before, and I urge you to go check it out or book some time there when it feels safe to do so. I also want to thank you for subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends about it and spreading the word about it. It really uh, means a lot for you to subscribe and follow the show and talk about it amongst yourselves. And otherwise, I got nothing else. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.